Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that and in this world we see things that decay, things that are put to death by rust and moth. We see our bodies and our ailments. We see creation. But all of these things, Lord, have a beginning, and they will have an end. But your word, Lord, cannot be broken. We pray, Lord, that we would find our rest in your word as you guide us and lead us. That we would find our peace, not in this world, but in you and your promises. Be with us now through the work of the Holy Spirit. That we would find our, 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 our solace and our peace in you and your unbreakable promises, for you cannot deny yourself. Be with us now as you work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit as we look to Jesus Christ, the one who came to die in our stead, the one who stands between God and man. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Letters are somewhat of a a dying art. There is no real equivalent. Although we live in a day and an age where communication is readily accessible, letters are not. Most letters that we receive in our mailbox have no significance whatsoever. Third and final warning. Open immediately. Urgent. Often, if they're labeled like this, they are not, in fact, what they claim to be. I have a couple of letters that Sarah and I wrote while we were dating or engaged. Distant lands, we would try and communicate with each other. But most of our communication that we had was online, either through messaging each other or text messages. We have an archive of text messages, you might say that one could go into the cloud and be able to find, but they're not the same as letter. In July 21st, on July 21st, 1861, near Manassas, Virginia, close to a small stream called Bull Run. It was the first major land battle of a war that marked the opening chapter of a long and bloody conflict. About 5,000 casualties at this battle of Bull Run. And one of them was a man by the name of Major Sullivan Bellu. He wrote a letter to his wife, Sarah, and his two sons, Willie and Blue-Eyed Edgar. He wrote this, My dear wife, my very dear wife, indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. Lest I should not be able to write to you again, I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye when I shall be no more. 
Our movement may be one of a few days duration and a full of pleasure, and it may be one of severe conflict and death to me. Not my will, but thine, O God, be done. He continues later in the letter and says, Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence can break. And yet my love of country comes over me like a strong wind. It bears me irresistibly on with all those chains to the battlefield. The memories of all the blissful moments I have spent with you come crowding over me. And I feel most deeply grateful to God and you that I have enjoyed them so long. And how hard it is for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hopes of future years when, God willing, we might still have lived and loved together and seen our boys grow up to honorable manhood around us. I know I have but few claims upon divine providence. But something whispers to me. Perhaps it is the waffled prayer of my little Edgar that I should return to my loved ones unharmed. If I do not, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I love you. Nor that, when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. It's hard to really underestimate the power of a letter. The relationship that binds two people together. A letter written by one, but written to another. How can you compare that to a list of archives of text messages or Facebook posts? And tonight we turn to a letter. Two people with a strong relationship with one another. Tied together not with the binds, as uh, uh, Sullivan wrote, but of union with Christ. This letter wasn't written in 1861, but about 60 AD. As Paul writes, contemplating maybe his very last words that he might write to this sweet church, he writes this warm and endearing letter to this beloved church. Now, to understand this love, we must be able to understand the relationship of how this first began, how this church was first started. So if you turn with me to Acts chapter 16, there are verses 11 to 40, we'll see how this sweet partnership began. And hopefully understand as we continue to study this letter, how this letter has this strong relationship tied together. Now, Philippi was located near the Aegean coast, in the forts of, uh, near the ports of Nepalus. It's a historically significant city surrounded by mountains overlooking this fertile plain. It was a Roman colony as citizens enjoyed privileges and rights. The city was a cultural melting pot of influences that had long been found within its background. Philippi thrived commercially due to this gold mines and positions along this common trade route. 
In the center of worship was these various deities that underwent name changes, reflecting the historical developments as it went through. And one day, this group of weary travelers arrived, led by the resolute Apostle Paul, driven by a divine calling to bring the message of salvation to this ancient city. Accompanying Paul was Silas, his steadfast companion, Timothy, a young man and devoted disciple who has recently left his mother Eunice and maybe even his grandmother Lois and began to be able to travel along with Paul. And of course, Luke, this chronicler of these journeys. Their faces were weathered by the countless trials, their spirits fueled by unwavering faith. And eager to be able to carry out their mission, they enter into this city of Philippi and they sought out a place to pray. This Sabbath day led them to the place where they might be able to pray and sing. And there by the riverside they discovered a gathering of women. And their voices raising in fervent supplication. Paul begins to speak. His words dance through the air, infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the hearts of these women, including a woman named Lydia, were drawn to his voice, captivated by the truth that flowed forth. Like a tapestry being woven, the fabric of their souls absorbed this message stitch by stitch. Lydia was a merchant who sold and did well for herself, selling fine purple cloth. But within her, it was a stirring, as if a veil had been lifted from of her understanding. Her heart burst forth to embrace the truth as she heard of Paul's words. Not only her, but also her household became the first fruits of this gospel-centered church in Philippi. Lydia, along with her household, were then baptized into the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And here we see the first members of the First Presbyterian Church of Philippi. Overwhelmed with gratitude, Lydia then extended her heartfelt invitation to Paul and his companions, urging them to be able to come and find solace and rest within the walls of her home. And so they found refuge in her abode, a sanctuary amidst the world fraught with challenges. And days turned into weeks. The transformative power of the gospel radiated into the streets of Philippi. And yet as the good news spread like wildfire, it also encountered opposition, conflict within these walls. A young slave girl followed Paul and his companions. Her worlds heralding their presence. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Through her words, were, though her words were true, they became a threat to drown out the clarity of their message. Filled with compassion, yet burdened with the distortion of the truth, Paul, with his heavy heart, turned and faced this girl. And with unwavering authority, he commanded the spirit to depart setting her free from the chains that bound her soul. In an instant, the oppressive darkness was shattered and light flooded her being. 
But this act of liberation did not resound with songs of praise, but rather a storm of fury. The owners of the girl, who exploited her gifts to their own gain, seized Paul and Silas, dragging them through the clamoring streets of the city to the city authorities. Accusations rang out like the tempest, and the air cracked with tension. The magistrates swayed at the clamor of the crowd, rendered a swift and unjust verdict. Paul and Silas, stripped of their dignity, were beaten mercilessly, their bodies racked with pain. Paul would later write of this day to the Thessalonians, Thessalonians in the second chapter, and he said, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we have boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict, shackled and wounded. They were thrust into the depths of a dark prison, their feet confined in unyielding stocks. Days earlier they sought a great work of the Spirit in Lydia's conversion and her household. But now imprisoned, the momentum of the gospel spreading seemed to be haltered, seemed to be stopped in their tracks. Yet even in the cold embrace of captivity, their spirits remained unbroken. Their bodies, although bruised, did not hinder them from singing praises and hymns to their great and glorious God. Maybe they might have been singing Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, I do take my refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock and refuge to which I continually come. You have given me the command to save me. And you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope. My trust, O Lord, from my youth upon you I have leaned from before my birth. And you are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually to you. As a resounding echo of whatever hymn they were singing filled the prison walls. Along with the clanging of their chains. That their faith radiated in this dark moment with great light in a dark night. Then in a moment of divine intervention, the earth began to shake and tremble. The very foundations of the prison shook. God had heard their prayer and their praises. He was their refuge, although the, the prison was not the firm foundation. The prison doors swung open and the chains that bound them fell away. In this, a man placed there by divine providence, startled from his slumber. The jailer awoke to chaos, believing all that lost doomed in despair. Right on the edge of desperation. Yet amidst all of this, A voice rang out in the darkness. Do not harm yourself. We are here. 
The jailer called for the lights and rushed in. The jailer's hearts melted. He fell trembling at the feet of Paul and Silas. Tears mingled with sweat on his face as he cried out, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In that tender moment, Paul shared the great and glorious truth of the gospel, revealing to him the path of redemption. The jailer and his entire household, hungry for the truth, embraced this gospel truth with fervor. They washed their stains of doubt and fear with the waters of baptism. Their souls reborn with a newfound joy. The jailer, like Lydia did, invited them home and set food before them. Two people, one a woman of wealth selling purple cloth, another working in a blue-collar job. But both received the truth of the gospel message As Paul and his companions came upon Philippi that day, they received this gospel with joy. Thus the seed planted here in Philippi began to grow. With the dawn of a new day, news of the miracles, events reached the ears of the magistrates. Swallowing their pride, they sent forth word to Paul and Silas to be released, recognizing that they erred in their judgment. But Paul, standing tall, insisted that the magistrates themselves come and accompany them out of the prison, leaving no room for doubt or or accusation. Now before departing from the city, they had come to be able to love the people within. Paul and his companions made their way to Lydia's house. There they embraced the believers, their spirits entwined like threads of that tapestry of faith, They shared words of encouragement, strengthening the bonds of brotherhood and sisterhood, leaving them this great legacy of hope. And here Paul and his companions, weeks later, had come into this city who had never heard the gospel before of these people that feared God, and yet their hearts were changed. The seed of faith took root in this fertile soil of Philippi giving birth to this this first church in Philippi. Here are these divine encounters sprung forth to these radical converts. Households, believers. And Philippi stood as a testimony to the power of God and the power of the gospel. That lives were transformed, lighting the way for generations to come. Years later, Paul was in another dark prison. This time, there was no divine intervention that would come to be able to break his shackles. But he writes to this beloved church. to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. He encourages them. He remembers their partnership they share from the first day by the riverside where the first members were baptized right up to this point. As he knows that Christ who started this church will see it to completion. 
Now, as we understand the story behind this church, we understand this sweet relationship between this church and this pastor, this church and this apostle Paul. So what can we learn more about this letter? The first that we'll look at is author. Right at the very beginning, when we write a letter, we write to, and then at the very end, we write who it's from. That's not how they did it. In the times of the Bible, they would write who it's from and then who it's to. And we see there, at the very first verse, there's Paul and Timothy. Maybe about 10 to 12 years had passed since they walked through the gates of Philippi and they'd stepped into that story which we just read before from Acts But Paul was in Rome under house arrest. When one day a man comes to him and brings him a gift. Epaphroditus. A member of Philippi who comes and brings gifts from this church which he had started. So Paul sends back Epaphroditus who nearly dies, more on this later in the letter, but Paul sends a letter to him, uh, from himself and Timothy, by this postman. Now Paul introduces himself in this letter in in Philippians, and he says that Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now better translated is actually slaves of Christ Jesus. Now this is quite uncommon. Paul in Corinthians says that he is called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. In Galatians, an apostle. Ephesians, an apostle by the will of God. Colossians, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. First Timothy, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Second Timothy, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, God according to the promise of the life. It is in Christ Jesus. Romans and Titus, he calls himself a servant and an apostle. In First and Second Thessalonians, he does not give himself a title, but yet Philippians, he does not use the term apostle at all. He speaks only that he is a slave of Christ. We see this further on in the book of Philippians, but chapter 3. Not that I have already obtained this or am, am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. He sees himself as a slave. Already we can get a taste of Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality of thing, uh, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Here we see this relationship between Paul and this church, this humility, this partnership in this letter. And every letter is written in a certain occasion, but here Paul writes to this church. He remembers with great joy of this blessing, of this relationship they have. So Paul writes it to who? Who is the audience? We see here the saints of Philippi. They've grown since that day where the magistrates threw him into the prison. 
They have a great relationship with Paul. They're the ones, we will find out, send him this great gift and aid, this fragrant offering, he calls it. He also writes it to be able to update them about Epaphroditus, who was ill. But also they show their concern for Paul. It's not merely that Paul is one who serves Philippi. Philippi also serves Paul. Even reading this over this letter quickly, I think you see the fondness and the relationship between Paul and these saints. He holds them in his heart. They are, and they hold his. They pray for him and he prays for them. They have a concern about Timothy. Timothy has a concern for their welfare as well. Listen how Paul addresses them in the first part of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Again, what a unique relationship Paul has with this church. This letter that he writes to this dearly beloved church. So why does he write this? I think one of the major reasons that he receives a gift and gift and he ultimately just wants to thank them for this partnership. Quite possibly, Aphrodite had told him about a couple of things. Euodia and Cynthia, who agree to be able to encourage them to be able to agree in the Lord. He, he tells them of his plans and his hopes to be able to visit them. That he's sending Timothy to them to be able to encourage them. Overall, I think Paul is seeking to be able to encourage them. And I'm sure he would hear of all the, the problem churches and the problem people coming before him, this negative news. But here, Philippi stands unique. Philippi is quite a strong and resilient church. They do not seek to be able to have great errors that have come in of foolish Galatians who have bewitched you. They do not seem to be sluggish or lazy like the Thessalonians, confused like the church in Corinth. Yet he seeks to be able to encourage them in what they are doing. But also, Paul understands that in the situation he finds himself in, this might be the last. The last chance he hopes to be able to go and see them. But also, he is under house arrest. He does not get to decide his judgment. So what then is the application? I think we see as we will study this letter in more detail. The glorious truth that we find ourselves, the truths of the gospel affect those who believe the gospel. That if we understand the gospel, our lives will then be gospel shaped. That if we understand we're united to Christ, then we follow in Christ's footsteps. We are humble like Christ is humble. 
We advance God's church. We're light in a dark world. We seek to be able to glorify Him, encourage one another, straining together towards that gospel goal. That we find ourselves in this life, whatever the world may throw at us, that we are content in the circumstance that we find ourselves. Paul writes this in chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about everything, anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. A great and glorious truth of the gospel affecting Christians in their world and their life. As we begin to study this letter, let us understand that this is a sweet letter that a sweet pastor writes to his sweet congregation as he encourages them to be able to be united to Christ, to follow in Christ's footsteps with the hope of heaven written upon their hearts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise. Lord, that you have given and revealed to us through your scriptures, letters, which confront us in our foolishness and our folly. You have given us letters to be able to encourage us to stand firm in these dark days. Lord, we pray as we continue to study this letter, we would see the sweet words of a pastor writing to this sweet congregation that we might be able to be encouraged wherever we find ourselves in, their circumstances or situation, that we would be content in all circumstances that we would seek to be humble, that we would seek to be able to rejoice with great joy of the truths of the gospel. Help us to be able to write this sweet letter upon our hearts, that it might dwell within us richly, that we might be able to encourage one another as we are united to Christ, brothers and sisters, looking and longing for heaven. We pray this in Christ's holy and blessed name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.